I'm Umbreen Khan, and this is Inspired by Interfaith Voices, a weekly show that explores how beliefs shape our world. After the midterm elections, there's no disagreement, the nation is divided. And according to a new poll, nearly a third of voters want a third way, something in between red and blue. That was one of the many takeaways in this year's 13th annual American Value Survey, conducted by the Brookings Institute and PRRI, both groups nonpartisan and based in Washington, D.C. This survey reflects a cross-section of the country, more than 2,500 adults living in all 50 states. Interviews were conducted online between September 1st and 11th of 2022. And the big question, what are the values that influence our perceptions and actions? According to Robert P. Jones, the president and founder of PRRI, the answer lies in how our nation is changing. In the last couple of decades, we have gone through this demographic sea change in the country where the country was majority white and Christian. It is only 44 percent white and Christian today. So it is no longer a majority white Christian country. Um, And if you look at younger people, it's wildly different. I spoke to Jones the day after the report's release. He sees the rapid changes in our demographics, influencing how we think of and define core values like fairness and equality. An example he points to, democratic politics and an issue that was once a third rail. Again, go back just uh, even to 2008. I mean, the Democratic Party was not supportive of marriage equality. Right. Barack Obama, when he was campaigning originally, was not campaigning on support for marriage equality. And so there's been a lot of changes on gender, race, and there's a kind of reckoning happening uh, about that. And and I think that's why these debates seem so visceral and divisive. Um, And at times are literally fights to the death. And it really is questions about American identity. Um, So cultural identity, racial identity, um, ethnic identity. Uh, et cetera, uh, uh, sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, and on these issues, uh, you know, our, our two political parties are really worlds apart, um, is, is I think the best way to put it. But party platforms don't bind every member, nor do they reflect the views of everyone who identifies with the party or even the candidates and elected leaders, which is why the survey goes far beyond partisan affiliation. It is really our multi-issue survey where we're trying to, you know, put our finger on the pulse of what's going on, what Americans are thinking about all kinds of things, and beyond what they're thinking about the issues, what's motivating them in terms of values, their religious identity and beliefs. And the big question, what does it mean to be American? It is less and less particular issues that are dividing the parties and Americans, and it really is questions about American identity is, I think, the best way to put it. Um, You know, they tend to defend different histories. They live in almost different realities. And as we're looking to the future and the future of democracy, uh, what the country should look like, um, they're really almost two incompatible views of the future. And in particular, what we really see is, I think, since the Trump era, um, a kind of hardening rightward stance among Republicans um, anchored by um, a white evangelical base and that that group is, well, it's increasingly shrinking as a proportion of the population. And it's also increasingly out of step with the values of most other Americans. An example of how this segment of the public differs is a question that PRRI has been asking since 2016. 
whether things have changed for the better or changed for the worse since the 1950s. Over the last six years, Jones sees a pattern. We tend to have white Christians clustered on the side saying things have changed uh, for the worse, uh, and no group is more convinced of that than white evangelical uh, Protestants, 71%, thinking things have changed for the worse. Jones offered a few more examples of questions that try to go deeper to reveal the longing is not just about a bygone era, but relates to this question. Who is the country for? We asked people about whether people see newcomers um, as a threat to the country. We have strong majorities of white evangelicals. They're the only religious group that thinks that newcomers are a threat um, to the country. So this kind of very kind of nativist, um, defensive, protectionist views of the country are there. And then when you ask a question, whether they agree or disagree with the statement uh, that God intended America to be a new promised land where European Christians could create a society that would be an example to the rest of the world. Now, it's about one in three Americans who agrees with that uh, statement, but it's half of white evangelical Protestants who agree with that statement. Other studies have asked, uh, for example, uh, straight up, we should declare the country a Christian nation. Um, tend to get about one in five Americans. What it looks like is that we've got enough survey data now from PRI and others um, that it looks like the, even this harder assessment of kind of laying claim and ownership to the country is somewhere between, you know, 20 to 30 percent of the country and somewhere around half of white evangelicals and Republicans are um, kind of in that more harder view of the idea that, no, the country is a Christian country. It should be declared such. Um, and Christians, you know, should then make the laws reflect that identity. This idea of America as a promised land for European Christians is just to state the obvious, fundamentally incompatible with a view of America as a pluralistic democracy. To understand who holds this vision of the United States as a promised land for European Christians can be seen in the answers to questions about immigration. Jones says it's not clear cut until you look at religious identity and partisan affiliation. We asked whether people believe that the growing number of newcomers from other countries strengthens American society or whether it threatens traditional American customs and values. And on the whole, 55% of all Americans say the growing number of newcomers actually strengthens American society. Only 40% uh, see it as a threat. However, the partisan divides here, by the way, are huge. I mean, they, they are um, 50 you know, percentage points. Uh, so it's, it's 7 in 10 Republicans who see newcomers as a threat compared to like 17% of Democrats. But this divide is there among religious groups as well. Um, so at least half of all white Christian groups view newcomers as a threat. And again, white evangelicals really stand out here with nearly two thirds uh, saying that they see newcomers as a threat. But this gets complicated, especially when people meet or see immigrants in their own local communities. Jones explains why and notes that exposure and empathy has its limits. You know, the closer you get to home, the warmer these views toward immigrants are, that it is often seemed as um, a kind of external threat that's out there uh, somewhere in some imagined border. If you don't actually live on the border, for most Americans, that's what it is. But it really has become uh, really top of mind. You know, so for example, when we ask white evangelical Protestants, we're the most critical issues in the country. Um, it's nearly six in 10 that, that name immigration. So it's right up there with, um, you know, the, uh, it's a little less than cost of living and inflation. Um, it's right there with crime. Um, it, it's, you know, six and 10 saying this is like one of the most critical issues in the country. And the other thing that's happened, I think, you know, previously there was this a kind of distinction between people who were seeking asylum 
as refugees um, because of danger, crime in their own countries, and then people who are coming for other reasons um, who are undocumented. Uh, but those distinctions have largely been lost. We, we really don't see those distinctions so much more in the data. There really is just this sense of external threat. But I think it's no mystery um, you know, why that is. I mean, this is something that was such a steady drumbeat from the time Donald Trump stepped onto the national stage as a candidate and, and really continued um, all through, you know, the build the wall mantra uh, was there. And I think we're seeing the fallout from that. That external threat and fear about immigration is linked to support for another political idea that is gaining traction, what political scientists called the Great Replacement Theory. That is linked to anti-Semitism and white supremacist ideology. Jones took a closer look using questions to tease out beliefs. Our question reads, immigrants are invading our country and replacing our cultural and ethnic background. Do you agree or disagree? It really is a, a white Christian groups that tend to be the group most strongly agreeing with it. It's 51% of white evangelicals who agree with that, but it's also 41% of white mainline Protestants uh, that agree with that. And it's, it's 41% of white Catholics who agree with that. There's less daylight between white evangelicals and other white Christian groups. But non-white people of faith also agree with the statement that immigrants are invading our country and replacing our cultural and ethnic background. It's not so, well, black and white. One in five African-American Protestants agree with that statement. And if you look at um, our category of non-Christian religious groups, again, it's about one in five who agree with that statement. You can certainly see this legacy of the country as a white Christian country. You can see that legacy there, but it certainly is not without at least some minority of adherents among other non-white groups. Many of these groups are more likely to be 20th century immigrants. Like immigration, another area that reveals a big difference in worldview is how ideas about gender have shifted so dramatically. So if you look at on this question, whether there are two genders or a range of gender identities, Democrats are six times as likely to say that there are a range of gender identities uh, than Republicans, right? So it is 63% of Democrats who say there are a range of gender identities. It's only 10% of Republicans who believe that. Uh, and if you look at the Republican number on the other side, people who believe um, there's only two genders, right? So that's 88% of Republicans who believe there's only two genders and 73% of them feel that way strongly. If we look at white evangelicals look a lot like Republicans, it's, you know, 87% of them say there's only two genders. Um, and here what we see is this um, thing we were talking about earlier, the way that age stratifies religious groups, you can really see in a question like this, because this question is highly stratified by age. So, for example, if you look at Latino Catholics um, that are much younger uh, than white evangelical Protestants, it's, it's only half who think they're only two genders, but like among the older groups, the older white Christian groups, it's 87% among white evangelicals. It's 68% among white mainline Protestants. Um, and, and it's even 70% uh, among white Catholics. But if you look at Latino Catholics, right, who are much younger, you see this drop off. And if you look at the unaffiliated, it's, it's less than half. Um, so majority of the unaffiliated believe that there's a range of gender identities. So it, it really is, um, you know, the kind of this two kind of partisan views of gender identity, very dug in, uh, that, that then flow into all these questions about policy, and particularly, I think, around transgender um, issues. 
I think there are these older groups um, that I think still find it hard to even comprehend. And I, I think that's what I was meaning by these kind of different worlds, right, that are being inhabited here. Um, and, and so I think there's a lot of kind of catch up um, to be done, um, you know, uh, and, and kind of these generational gaps uh, that are just, just chasms. Jones sees the nostalgia for the 1950s linked to changing gender roles. You know, part of that 1950s era, I think, um, that is in many people's vision when they're thinking about cultural things, and particularly kind of conservative white Christian circles, you know, clearly defined roles for men and women uh, that were kind of hierarchical with very um, explicit expectations uh, for how men and women like live in the world, what their roles were, what their roles were with kids and family and work um, and all of that, that I I think is um, just so striking. We've also had a question about whether America and American society is becoming quote unquote, too soft and feminine. We asked this back in 2016 and 2020. Um, It was a highly predictive question um, on vote for Trump. Um, If you agreed with that that statement, men just being able to be men and their kind of traditional gender roles um, and a kind of pushback, I think, against gender equality and the like is absolutely part of this big divide. There are, though, a few issues that transcend religious identity, partisan identity and gender, the economy, and surprisingly, a shared concern about the health of democracy. The health of democracy really has uh, resonated across the board. Six and 10 white evangelicals name this. Um, six and 10 African-American Protestants name it, six and 10 uh, religiously unaffiliated Americans name it. Jones was quick to point out that what is not immediately evident is that there are two very different ideas about what the big threats to democracy look like. Now, people mean different things by that. Just looking at white evangelical Protestants and African-American Protestants, um, if you ask what the biggest problem you know is today in, in terms of voting, is it voter fraud or is it voter disenfranchisement? White evangelicals overwhelmingly say the biggest problem is um, voter fraud, while African-American Protestants overwhelmingly say it's voter disenfranchisement. While the health of democracy question can look like it has broad support on the surface, but big differences underneath, one issue where there's no daylight between what folks support and what they mean is access to abortion-related health care. We just ask, do you favor or oppose ensuring that at least some healthcare professionals in your community provide legal abortions, right? 68% of the country um, agrees with that. And what's remarkable when you look at the religious um, context, you kind of, you know, look across all the the various religious subgroups, every major religious group in uh, the country, with the exception of one, is majority support. And that one is the one we keep talking about. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's only 41% of white evangelicals who say that, but just kind of give you some numbers to give you the sense. 74% of white mainline Protestants uh, agree that some healthcare professionals in your community should provide legal abortions. 68% of African-American Protestants, 68% of white Catholics, 73% of Hispanic Catholics, uh, 84% of those of non-Christian religions and um, 83% of the religiously unaffiliated. So it's it really is across the board. And I, I think one of the things that where the courts are really out of step. Despite the overwhelming data, media often fails to capture this reality. And that is in part because advocates seeking to restrict abortion often frame the debate as a binary between people of faith on one side and everyone else. If people of faith really only mean white evangelical Protestants, who, by the way, are 14% of the population. That's one four 
so, you know, you look at 85% of the population is in a different place. And I think on this issue, the data is just so clear that the direction the country has been heading is just so clearly out of step, not just with Americans overall, but with people of faith um, in the country with this one small exception. With the midterms behind us, many say the presidential elections for 2024 are about to begin. And former President Trump has intimated plans to run. Jones tested the former president's popularity and found some surprising areas where a future candidate Trump might be challenged. It's a mixed bag, I think. Um, so on the one hand, um, we asked about the impact of the January 6th hearing, specifically about it impacting Americans' view of uh, former President Trump. And what we found is that 56% of the country said that it had no impact on their view. Um, but among those who did you know, watch the hearings and report a change, it was four times as likely to be negative, um, to have a less fa- favorable view of Trump than a more favorable uh, view of Trump. Among independents in particular, where, where I think this is really important, um, uh, that, that view was even a little, was like five times as likely to have a, a negative uh, view of Trump. So not a lot of effect among Trump's Republican base. Um, but it, but among people in the middle, it did seem to uh, impact their view less. Uh, when we asked people about, you know, looking ahead to 2024, uh, would they prefer Trump or someone else? When we asked Republicans, uh, it turns out, most Republicans would like to see Trump back at the top of the ticket. Um, so 54% to 45% uh, saying Trump versus someone else. But if you look among independents that lean Republican, you can see he may have some trouble in the middle. It's only 36% of independents that lean Republicans say they'd prefer to see Trump at the top of the ticket versus 63%. Now, having said all of that, um, the news is not much better for Biden. In fact, it's a little bit worse. Um, so if you look ask among Democrats uh, who they'd like to see, as the 2024 presidential nominee, it's only 40% of Democrats say they'd like to see Biden. 58% uh, said they'd like to see someone else. That's a big challenge. One, Jones says, points to a craving for more options. We did ask people, um, because we knew there was this partisan frustration out there about whether they'd like to see a third political party. We actually found um, four in 10 Americans uh, saying they'd love to see a third party that's located ideologically between the Democrats and the Republicans. So when we look at religious Americans on this question of support for a third uh, political party, it's maybe not that surprising that that people who tend to be more in one political camp than the others, for example, white evangelicals who tend to vote Republican for high levels, are less likely uh, to say they they prefer this third party between the Democrats and Republicans. But white mainline Protestants, for example, a, a majority half of white Catholics say they'd like to see. Uh, a group, and and notably, actually, on the other side is um, uh, African American Protestants. Forty five percent of them also say they'd be happy to see a political party uh, in between the two that we have. This opening for a third party is not entirely surprising because of negative partisanship. What's driving people's um, partisan attachments is is really this this push off of the other party, right? It's that I don't want that party in power, and it's less that I like love my candidate or love my party, but it's more that I hate this other one. And and so political scientists tend to call this like negative partisanship that tends to drive to drive things. So that means that that people's attachments, like positive attachments, um, are weaker uh, than their negative. Uh, resistance to the other party. So it, in theory, right, that does open up a space uh, for people to defect and and drift into a third party. It's just that structurally, you know, the, from the way that districts are drawn and the kind of lockhold that, that the two political parties we have have on power, 
makes it you know on the ground fairly unlikely, but but at least in theory, uh, there is this appetite there because of those dynamics. At the beginning of our conversation, Jones was quick to point out that we have in our country today people who hold starkly different worldviews. Nowhere is that more apparent than the growing embrace of a socially engaged ideological movement known as QAnon. It's a conspiracy theory that began to circulate with former President Trump's campaign for elected office. Since 2021, PRRI has been tracking the spread of the conspiracy theory, but it's tricky. Jones explains there are three key pillars of belief, which for some are held in tandem with deeply held religious beliefs about good and evil. They're basically people who believe three things. And we actually asked this in the survey question. I should preface uh, this by saying there are people who believe that there is a um, group of Satan worshiping pedophiles um, who are controlling the government. They believe that there is a storm coming soon uh, that will sweep away the current people in power and install new leaders. Uh, And they believe that true American patriots may have to resort to violence if that's what it takes to set things right. And what we found is when we first started measuring this, uh, it was 14% of the country back in in early 2021 that agreed with those three tenets. And that number has basically increased by five percentage points. In our our latest survey, it's 19% of the country um, that believes, again, all three of those tenets we got about half the country that is um, mostly disagrees with those sentiments and 30% of the country that absolutely rejects uh, those tenets. But, you know, one in five Americans um, believing something this outlandish um, and, and extreme is, is a notable number. Um, and those views are linked to things like the Great Replacement Theory. They're linked to things like um, Christian nationalism uh, and because it's part of the scale actually linked to, to violence. In the religious world, for example, it's um, it's about a quarter of white evangelicals who are the group that most likely um, to agree with this, um, that qualify as QAnon believers with this measure. Robert P. Jones is the founder and president of PRRI, the Public Religion Research Institute. He's also an award-winning author. In 2021, White Too Long, The Legacy of White Supremacy in American Christianity won the American Book Award. In 2019, his book, The End of White Christian America, won the 2019 Grawmeyer Award in Religion. If you want to follow Jones's writing and commentary, he now publishes a newsletter on Substack. You can find a link to his books and his newsletter in this week's show notes at interfaithradio.org. That's all for this week's episode. Special thanks to Kevin McCarthy, this week's producer, and Maureen Fiedler, our founder. For details about the polling research or links to this week's guest, please visit show notes at interfaithradio.org. While you're there, subscribe to the newsletter, scroll the archive, or subscribe to our podcast and take us on the go. Wherever you listen, just search interfaithradio.org. Wherever you are, friends, I hope you are well, I hope you are safe, and I hope you stay connected. I'll see you next week.